This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, the 10th day of May 2021. Hope you all had a great Mother's Day. Uh, It was a uh, a rainy day here in the Northeast, or at least the second half of the day was, and cloudy today, but uh, it's going to warm up and I think the spring is finally uh, taking hold here in the Northeast, so pretty excited about that. Uh, lots to get to this morning. Before we get to, well, I guess we'll, we'll start with the, uh, the breaking news that happened yesterday, um, and that was about the Kentucky Derby. Medina Spirit, the winner of the Kentucky Derby, failed a post-race drug test. Now, they are going to test a second sample, and if it does come back positive as well, uh, Medina Spirit is going to be stripped of its Kentucky Derby win, and uh, Mandelon, who finished about a half a length behind, will be declared the winner. If this happens, it will be just the second time in the history of the Kentucky Derby that a horse has been disqualified because of medication the only other one that happened to was dancer's image that was all the way back in 1968 bob baffert who everybody was praising for winning his seventh kentucky derby as a trainer has been suspended by churchill downs and he was defiant and he said look uh it's a gut punch for something i didn't do He said, it's disturbing. It's an injustice to the horse. I don't know what's going on in racing right now. Look, you know, it's just like, you know, guys that uh, in Major League Baseball that get caught doping and I don't know how it got in my system. You know, here's the thing, you know, and the problem with Baffert is and I look, maybe maybe he's right in this case. I don't know. But the problem is, is that he has been tied to far too many cases where there have been issues with substances in horses he was just suspended uh in uh, arkansas for uh positive drug tests involving two of his horses that wanted a track there uh in 2020 uh they tested positive for a painkiller uh lidocaine baffert said they were exposed to it inadvertently yada 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 well eventually uh his suspension was overturned and they decided that the amount of uh, lidocaine the horses had wouldn't have been a competitive advantage. And, and by the way, the drug that the horse tested positive for at the Kentucky Derby was uh, beta-methasone, which is an anti-inflammatory. It's not actually a banned substance, but the amount that the horse is allowed to have is regulated. So, uh, you know, uh, 
Look, there's a lot of controversy with horse racing to begin with about whether these horses are treated humanely, and uh, yet it continues. I mean, look at all the – we don't have dog racing anymore. All the dog tracks around the country, the Greyhound Racing – have uh, have closed because of the abuse of of dogs and there's been a lot of deaths of horses it's been horse racing is under a lot of scrutiny this is not going to help you know i will we ever get rid of horse racing i doubt it it's been with us you know forever probably for as long as man's been riding horses they've been racing them but you know there is no question that there is some shady stuff that goes on in horse racing, and there is abuse that goes on in horse racing. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it just, it's just it's dumb. Uh, Medina Spirit is supposed to run in the Preakness on Saturday. They actually uh, delayed the picking for the post at the Preakness for an extra day to give this kind of a chance to shake out. Um, and uh, there's no talk that the folks at Pimlico uh, will – ban Medina spirit based on this, but you know, they'll be, it'll be looked at closely, you know? So, but Bob Baffert now has been suspended by Churchill downs and will not be allowed to enter any more horses, uh, there at least for now. Now, if this second test comes back negative and I doubt that it will, you know, just like when they test, uh, drug samples for humans, you know, for, uh, Major League Baseball, et cetera, they always have a couple of samples or for the Olympics. And the second sample always comes back positive, too. So, uh, you know, and and there is some talk that, hey, you know, maybe uh, there's some kind of thing here. The, the owner of the horse is from the United Arab Emirates, I believe. But he was from he's from uh, the Middle East, you know, and that maybe there was some, you know, hanky panky going on there and that. uh you know, look, we don't know how many people have access to these horses. Could somebody have done this without Bob Baffert's knowledge? Yeah, it's it's probably it's possible. I mean, I, I got to give Baffert the, the benefit of the doubt, although his history with having issues with drugs with his horses doesn't necessarily want to give you the benefit of the doubt. But I mean, how many people could could have access to that horse and could have done it? You know, who knows? Who knows? So stay tuned. We'll probably know sometime here in the next week whether uh, the Kentucky Derby is actually going to uh, – the winner's going to change. And by the way, if you had a ticket for Mandelon as the winner and it finished second, yeah, you're screwed. You're not going to get – all of a sudden get the winner's purse. People that won bets based on Medina Spirit winning get to keep their winnings. It's not – they can't ch- track these people down and say, give us the money back. Uh, but I'll tell you what, there'll be lawsuits. You can guarantee that, uh, there will definitely be lawsuits. Uh, it'll be, so anyway, it'll be just a second medication, uh, as I said, since 1968. And then there was one back, uh, what was it? A couple of years ago where a horse was disqualified for cutting off, uh, the other horses during the, uh, the Kentucky Derby. But by and large, this is very, very rare very rare so that's number one number two uh the president of the university of hartford and uh the chairman of the board of regents uh penned an op-ed piece in the hartford current this weekend on sunday talking about why 
Uhart belongs in Division Three and not Division One, making their case as to why they are going to drop from a scholarship program to a non-scholarship program. Now, I want to say number one, and and you know this is this is true, and Jeff Jacobs of uh, Hearst Media pointed this out this weekend as well. He was kind of pissed because a lot of what's happening when you talk about dropping from Division One to Division Three, it's kind of denigrating the kids and the Division Three schools and the kids that play Division Three. Look, the majority of kids that play sports in college in this country play at a Division Three institution where they do not get scholarships to play. It's disrespectful to say Division Three sucks, you know, because it doesn't. You know, those kids at Division Three work just as hard. Matter of fact, in many cases, work harder than the kids at Division One because they don't get any perks. They just get it. It's for the love of the game. So that's number one. And so I, I get that, all right? You know, let's, let's – college athletics is college athletics. It's just a, it, we're talking semantics here and about a, le, a different level. But it doesn't mean the kids at Division Three are any less of an athlete than the kids at Division One. But the president tried to make a case, this is why. And let me tell you something. He didn't make a case. It just was, it was a lot of uh, crap, let's be honest. You know, and uh, they said that, well, you know, we've heard all kinds of uh, things from people about how we can keep it Division One, how we can do this, how we can do that, and basically said no. He said, you know, people talked about additional fundraising and he said look he said our annual fundraising brings in less than 10 percent of the athletics operating budget he said uh he said while fundraising has increased across the campus the gap between athletics fundraising and the resources necessary is widening um and that's that's true i mean I'll, i'll give you that no athletic department or very few athletic departments in the country raise enough money to make up any kind of a, uh, you know, it's it's basically, you know, a Band-Aid on athletic spending. So I, I'll give him that. But what they are missing the boat on, you know, and they, they say, well, we're extremely proud of our basketball team. And yeah, what they're missing the boat on here to me, this isn't about, whether Division Three is not worthy of, of or, you know, is, is beneath Hartford, okay? It's not that. It's about visibility. It's about a university that is struggling to keep students. You're struggling for your enrollment continues to drop. Now you are going to take a program that gets visibility across the country when they play you know, in other places that Division three schools don't go. When you play Division three, you play a regional schedule. If if they turn, if they become Division three, they are playing a Connecticut, or they are playing a New England schedule. They're going to basically play their games in Connecticut, New York, Massachusetts, Rhode Island. It's going to be a regional thing. When you play Division one, you play a national schedule. You get the name of the school out there in places you normally wouldn't. That is the point here. If you're struggling for enrollment, dropping to Division Three is 
not going to help. As a matter of fact, in the short term, you're going to lose students. Why? Because the student athletes that are there now are going to transfer. There is no question. Now, while some have said they're going to stick it out, at least for this year, others have already said, "Now nah, I'm gone. I'm entering the transfer protocol. I'm out of here. Uh, and there was a story in the current this weekend about some athletes that are there now that said that, you know, we're gone. Some uh, alumni are just beside themselves pissed. You know, this is a, a program, a baseball program, that has put guys in the major leagues, I think three or four of them, including Jeff Bagwell, a Hall of Famer. And they've got a bunch of guys playing in the minor leagues. And, you know, we got guys that are beside themselves. And they're like, you know, and basically said it's embarrassing. Um, one of the major athletic donors, Susan Reich and her husband, and I mean they give – a ton. I'm not talking about like a check for a thousand dollars. They give five and six figure donations to the University of Hartford. Have said they're never going to set foot on campus again. And she said we'll no longer donate to the school. And she made it very clear. She said not a dime. You have uh, uh, golfing alumni who are playing on the PGA Tour have said. I will never donate to the university again. I'm embarrassed to be a graduate of the school now. Walt Harrison, who was a great president there, uh, between uh, 1998 and 2017, he's obviously disappointed. But the thing that about this, and this is the part that has got people upset, the process was not transparent. This hit everybody upside the head, blindside. Nobody saw this coming. And when the vote was taken, the fix was in. They already had a website created to try to explain their decision. The fix was in. This wasn't like, okay, we're going to take the vote. Now we'll figure out how to tell everybody. that It was decided long before the vote was ever taken. And by the way, the, the $9 million they say they're going to save by dropping to Division Three. Economists that have looked at this study, by the way, the numbers are completely flawed. The economists have said the savings are going to be more around a million. Well, that million dollars that you're going to save, you could look at that as an investment in your school, and you could use athletics to help build the visibility of your school. Instead, you have alienated a lot of people, a lot of people with a lot of money, and a lot of people that are going to make sure word gets out about what a clown show the University of Hartford uh, administration is. There is no defense for this. I'm sorry. You know, uh, not the way it was done. That's the problem with it, is that it was, you know, (laughs) you just... You, you gotta you gotta take everything into consideration. You have to listen to people. They listen to nobody. And unless you are going to essentially say, "Well, we're going to drop athletics completely," see, I could be, I could deal with that. Probably, it'd be easier for me if they just said, "We're dropping athletics." <laughs> you know, uh, it'd be the death knell for your school. But you know, th- they are underestimating what the value of Division One athletics is and what it can do for your school PR-wise, admissions-wise, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll see. But we may, this may be the beginning of the end.
for the University of Hartford. Um, kind of a funny story. The uh, golf tournament this week in the Wells Fargo Championship at, at uh, Quail Hollow. Bryson DeChambeau this week, and this is great. So he's finishes his second round. He figured he needed a birdie on the last hole to get into the weekend, to make the cut. He didn't get it. So he left the course, packed his bags, got on his plane to fly back to Dallas. He was 90th at the time. The top 65 and ties make the cut, right? So he, he packs his bags. They're in the air, flying back to Dallas. He gets a text uh, from his agent and said that, uh, uh, hey, buddy, you're now 68th. So, so DeChambeau's on a plane going, uh-oh. Well, he still figures he's not going to make it. So, you know, because the wind's going to die down in the afternoon, the scores are going to drop. So, uh, he figured, yeah, no problem. So, he goes home. When he lands, he finds out that he was tied for 64th and he made the cut. <laughs> so... Now, he's got to deal with a private jet company, but now he's got to scramble. He finally gets a flight arranged at quarter to three in the morning in Dallas. So he, he, he sleeps for a few hours at home, gets on a plane at quarter to three, sleeps for a couple hours on the plane, lands at 6.20, has a half-hour drive to Quail Hollow, changes clothes, and he's there about uh, a half an hour before his tea time. Think about that. <laughs> Oops. So now he finishes the weekend. He ends up tied for ninth. He, uh, he won like $228,000. So whatever he spent on the plane, I don't know what it was, you know, 10 K or whatever it was he spent on the plane. Uh, you know, it, it didn't hurt. It, it paid off, but, uh, my God, can you imagine that <laughs> sitting in Dallas and all of a sudden realizing I got to be in Charlotte for a, for a seven o'clock tea time. Oops. So anyway, but uh, he ended up a uh, great weekend. He ended up finishing ninth, but uh, man, that was a costly mistake. Uh, and in that tournament, by the way, Rory McIlroy got the win. First win for Rory uh, in 18 months. He had been struggling mightily, and uh, it was fun because his wife uh, and his daughter were there on Mother's Day, got uh, got to win the tournament uh, in front of them. So uh, good for Rory, but uh, Bryson DeChambeau. Unbelievable. I, you know, I mean, for you and me, that'd be like we'd want to kill ourselves. But, you know, I guess they, they're operating on a little bit of a different financial plane than you and me. All right, Red Sox over the weekend. How about this? The Red Sox, and I still can't believe I'm saying this, and, you know, with uh, the struggles that they had against the Detroit Tigers, and, I, you know, you're ready to, to, to put a fork in them. Here we are on May 10th. And the Boston Red Sox have the best record in baseball. I know it's 35 games in. I get it. I know there's 127 to go. I get it. But this is a team right now that is 12-4 and four on the road. And they have another game against the Baltimore Orioles today. They've already won three in a row there. Uh, if they can get the win today, sweep the series, I mean, be 10 games over 500. That's just, <laughs> if you had told me before the season, you know, based on looking at this roster, that that would happen, I would 
I would have wanted some of what you were smoking. But Rafi Devers has been a man possessed lately. Uh, yesterday, a double, a home run, a home run for Hunter Renfro as he continues to find his stroke. He has gotten hot. Uh, Bobby Dahlbeck is starting to hit a little bit. Uh, even Franchi Cordero had some hits the other day. I mean, you just look up and down this lineup, and right now Marco Gonzalez, or Marmar Gonzalez, I mean, finally started hitting a little bit. He had three hits yesterday. And Nick Pavetta, what a story this guy is. Now, look, he is um, somebody that will make you a nervous wreck. He's 7-0 and since the Red Sox got him from the Phillies, and he's 5-0 and this year with an ERA of 3.19. But if there is ever a shaky 3.19 and a misleading 3.19, he would be it. You'll take it. But, man, this guy just, oh, he walks the first two guys in the game yesterday. I mean, he had himself in a huge jam in the first inning, got out of it, only giving up one run. Then he settled down the rest of the way, but gutted his way through six innings through 103 pitches. And uh, then the bullpen does a decent job. And Matt Barnes, another perfect ninth inning for his eighth save of the season. Uh, and the Red Sox beat the Orioles 4-3. to Just a thing of absolute beauty. And uh, we'll take it. Now, the Red Sox had to put Christian Arroyo on the DL uh, after getting hit on his hand, if you remember the other day. Now, he came in as a defensive replacement uh, the day after, even with that banged-up hand. But they put him on retroactive to Friday. And Jonathan Arauz came up uh, from AAA Worcester. So uh, the other news for the Red Sox, and this is a bit concerning. Tanner Houck has been put um, on the IL down in Worcester with a sore flexor muscle. Now, sore flexor muscles are very common with pitchers. The problem is, and it's usually rest usually takes care of it, the problem is in a lot of cases – it's the precursor to something worse. Let's hope that's not the case. You know, uh, he threw three innings in their opener on Tuesday in Trenton and allowed three runs on eight hits, struck out four, didn't walk anybody, but he wasn't right, and uh, they have shut him down. So let's hope, uh, you know, that uh, a few weeks of rest will take care of the problem. But that is certainly concerning. That's a guy that you're looking at as depth. If one of these starters for the Red Sox got hurt, that's the first guy you're looking to to come up, and now that is not going to be an option for Boston. So uh, cross the fingers. Uh, Martin Perez will get the start for Boston today. Um, he pitched pretty well his last couple of times out. Nothing uh, good to show for it. He's 0-2 with a 4-4-0 ERA, but again, if you look at it, he's your number five starter. I'll take that. Uh, Jorge Lopez uh, who allowed seven runs in four innings against the Red Sox back on April 11th, will take the mound for the Orioles today. So got to like the Red Sox chances, which is probably the reason why they'll lose today. But uh, keep the fingers crossed. A four-game sweep in Baltimore would be a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's 29 minutes past the hour. Got to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 31 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Monday morning. Uh, so the Yankees win yesterday. Quite a weekend for the Yankees. Um, after losing on Friday, they come back on both Saturday and Sunday 
and win the game on walk-offs. Uh, yesterday, it was uh, John Carlos Stanton, the hero, a, a base hit to left, and uh, the Yankees win on another walk-off. And Brad Hand, the closer for the Washington Nationals this weekend, was absolutely brutal. Uh, he blew the game twice on Saturday, twice in extra innings, on the 10th and the 11th. I mean, this is a guy that uh, has been really, really good. Threw 29 pitches, couldn't find the strike zone at all on Saturday. Struggled again yesterday, walked two guys, uh, threw 17 more pitches, only got one out before uh, the Yankees end up winning the game. Araldus Chapman actually gave up a hit yesterday, uh, but uh, he ends up getting the win uh, with a scoreless ninth inning. Domingo Herman got the start for the Yankees, pitched pretty well, um, but uh, the Yankees now have themselves right where they want to be. They are staring the Red Sox down. They sit in second place, tied with the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, but 18-16. and 16. The Yankees have won seven of their last ten. Uh, they just had their longest homestand of the season, and they went 7-2 and two on the homestand. So that's, uh, uh, you look, you knew they had too much talent. It was just a matter of time before they got things rolling. And uh, they are now breathing down the Red Sox neck. Um, and uh, But they've got a big series coming up, and we'll find out, you know, what they're made of. Um, the Tampa Bay Rays are next. I mean, the Red Sox are going to love that. They just would love these guys to beat up on each other. And, you know, uh, if the Red Sox continue to win, of course, the Red Sox are going to have their hands full because after playing Baltimore, they get to play Oakland. I mean, the good news is it's going to be at Fenway Park. Uh, but that's an Oakland Athletics team that is red hot as well, uh, up to 21 and 15. So, uh, uh, you know, but uh, the Yankees will take on the Rays starting tomorrow. They have today off. Jordan Montgomery is going to get the start in the opener. But uh, And the other news for the Yankees is Luke Voigt is coming back. He will be activated off the DL tomorrow. Uh, he is 7 for 18 during his rehab assignment in scranton Wilkesbury. Uh, including three home runs. So, <laughs> nah, it's triple-A pitching. I get it. But, boy, that is something that the Yankees really need. Mike Ford's been playing first base, and uh, he couldn't hit his way out of a wet paper bag. He's hitting 103 on the season. So they are anxious to get Luke Voigt back, which is going to make this Yankee team even more dangerous. By the way, Gary Sanchez got the start yesterday at catcher, uh, went 0 for 3, he is now saw his average dip to 174. So uh, things are not getting any better for him. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays lost yesterday 7-4 to to the Houston Astros. Uh, Kyle Tucker did that, him in, uh, did them in, I should say, almost single-handedly. Uh, a, a three-run homer, four runs batted in overall on with a couple of hits. Uh, and Kyle Tucker, by the way, had been struggling. He's only hitting 188 on the season. Uh, but uh, they get to uh, the bullpen for the Toronto Blue Jays, and they end up winning this thing easy. Zach Greinke was not great. Zach Greinke has really struggled at the beginning of this season, lasted only four innings, uh, gave up nine hits and four runs. I mean, Houston had a 7 nothing lead in this game, and Greinke couldn't hold it. Uh, they had to get him out of there, and then the Houston bullpen does great work. Five shutout innings, allowing just two hits, without a walk uh, as they hang on to beat the Blue Jays in this one by a final of 7-4. to four. Uh, We mentioned the Rays, and uh, they 
defeated the Oakland Athletics yesterday 4-3 to to avoid a three-game sweep. They come back to win this one. Willie Adamas with a three-run home run in the fifth, and then Mike Broso a uh, tie-breaking single, and uh, the bullpen hangs on as the Rays win this one. Uh, Andrew Kittredge gets the last five outs to pick up his second save uh, of the season. Adamas, that was his fourth home run of the year. So the A's, as I said, fall to 21-15, and 15, and now the Tampa Bay Rays sit at 19-17. and 17. So all of a sudden, the cream is starting to rise to the top. You know, if you remember just, what, last week, everybody except the Red Sox was below 500. Well, now everybody except Baltimore is above 500. Uh, and we're seeing some of these teams – that got off to great starts. Look at what happened to the Kansas City Royals. The Kansas City Royals uh, have lost eight in a row. They've lost nine of ten. This is a team that was sitting in first place last week. Uh, they are now 16 and 17, so they have taken uh, a nosedive and kind of finding their level. Uh, and we've seen some other teams that are starting to come back down to earth a little bit. It looks like the San Francisco Giants uh, are finally uh, – uh, coming back down to earth as well as the Padres put a hurting on them yesterday. So uh, some of these upstarts, and I'm hoping, look, I'm hoping the Red Sox isn't one of them. I mean, most people did not think Boston had a chance uh, to win the division this year. And I got to be honest, I'm still not convinced that the Red Sox have a chance to win the division. You know, my hope was that the Red Sox could at least sneak one of the wild card spots, and I still believe they're going to be able to do that. With nine games over 500, as I said, play 500 ball the rest of the way. Uh, and they're going to get there. I think the most concerning thing for me uh, with Boston is that they're only 10-9 and nine at Fenway Park. You know, you want to win games at home, and they have really struggled at home. Now, it didn't help, obviously, that they got swept by the Orioles to start the season at home, but still, uh, you know, you lose two out of three to Detroit at home. So think about that. Two teams that are sitting in last place in their division and you're one in five against them in your own ballpark. So that's a little bit concerning. But uh, speaking of concern, everybody in uh, New York, if you are a Mets fan, uh, going to church, saying novenas, saying Hail Marys, doing whatever they got to do in hopes that the injury to Jacob deGrom is not too serious. deGrom started yesterday against the Arizona Diamondbacks, lasted five innings. Now, he only gave up one hit, and but he did walk three guys. He struck out six, only gave up one run. He ends up getting the win, ironically, in a game that he didn't have his best stuff, and he had to leave uh, with the injury. And he has had an MRI. We are waiting for the results. We should have them sometime this morning. Uh, but this is a guy that, had 10 days between starts because if you remember, they skipped his turn last time because he felt some uh, pain in that side. Well, he still has the same pain. Now, he had thrown uh, off flat ground and stuff, you know, in between starts, and he thought he was going to be good to go. Well, as soon as he started working uh, yesterday, it flared up again. So it, there is a, I would think there is a better than average chance that Jacob deGrom uh, could be headed to the IL again. Hope it's nothing too serious, but you know, you know, when he's throwing 29 pitches in an inning, there's a problem, and that's exactly what happened yesterday in the fifth inning. 
29 pitches. It's only the second time in his career that he's thrown that many pitches uh, in an inning. Uh, and it was all the way back in 2018. It was at Philly, and it was right after he had come off the disabled list. So, obviously, if he has to come out of the game, you know something's not right. Now, the good news, as I said, for the Mets, they win the game 4-2, to two, and uh, New York now three games over 500, starting to, uh, to find their level a little bit. They're starting to get the pitching that everybody expected that they would get, and don't forget, Noah Syndergaard's probably six weeks away from coming back. So they're going to be even better. That 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 rotation's going to be absolutely ridiculous. Uh, now the Mets have today off, and uh, then they will host the Baltimore Orioles for a quick two-game series. It'll be uh, Marcus Stroman getting the start for the Mets tomorrow night against John Means. Uh, and he, John Means, was actually scheduled. He normally would have pitched against the Red Sox today, but because he threw so many pitches in that no-hitter against Seattle last week, the Orioles decided to give him an extra day off. So uh, Means, with that 4-0 record and one three seven ERA, his next opponent will be the New York Mets uh, tomorrow night. Uh, I watched this game last night on ESPN, uh, and it looks like the Braves are starting to wake up a little bit. The Braves now get to 500. They beat the Phillies last night 6-1. to one. Um, Aaron Nola got the start for the Phillies last night and was awful. You know, that's one of the things with Nola. Now, he'd been pretty good this year, but one of the things I've always noticed about Aaron Nola, he's got great stuff. He is capable of throwing, uh, you know, a shutout at any time. The problem I have always found with Nola is that in big games, he does not come up big. Anytime there's a lot of pressure on this kid, he seems to fold. And yesterday he gave up a couple of bombs, uh, one to Freddie Freeman, one to Dansby Swanson, uh, ends up pitching just four innings, giving up five runs. And Huskar uh, Yanoa, the kid, <laughs> this kid from Atlanta is a lot of fun to watch. He goes six innings yesterday. He only gave up one run on four hits. Uh, the only run he gave up was a leadoff home run on the first pitch to Andrew McCutcheon. After that, uh, he was uh, Mr. Shutdown. And matter of fact, had a base hit as well. He's hitting 400. If you remember his last start, he hit a grand slam home run. I watched him. This is the first time I've seen him swing the bat other than that home run. Uh, he definitely has a clue at the plate. This isn't somebody, you know, I don't know that he's, uh, you know, he's not Shohei Otane, but this guy can swing the bat. You know, you can see that he has played other positions before and he knows how to swing the bat. Freddie Freeman, by the way, in a, in a pregame interview uh, with ESPN, uh, actually said, you know, we talked about Mother's Day and we were talking about, you know, what, you know, what kind of gift would you like to give your wife on Mother's Day? And he said, well, a home run would be nice. Well, <laughs> mission accomplished. And Freddie had been struggling. He was hitting under 200, but he goes three for three last night, including that home run. And uh, as I said, the Braves now back up to 500. They've got a big test coming in, though. The Toronto Blue Jays. Um, will be at Truist Park on it for a three-game series starting on Tuesday. And the Phillies, they head uh, to Washington after a day off. There's not many baseball games today. I think there's only five games. The Red Sox are one of them, obviously, but uh, not too much action today. But the Phillies uh, will head to Washington uh, in a big series for them starting on Tuesday. It is 43 minutes past the hour. We're going to come back. The Boston Celtics laid another egg yesterday 
and uh, it is looking more and more like they are headed for a playing game. And, uh, you know, Celtics fans and the Boston media have not been very kind to Brad Stevens of late. We'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 46 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Monday morning. So the Celtics lose yesterday to the Miami Heat, uh, 130 to 124. The Celtics did what they have done so many times this season. Uh, they get down big early, and then they try to mount this you know huge comeback, and they always uh, end up coming up just short. Um, the Celtics have now fallen to seventh place in the Eastern Conference. They are in a position now where they are likely going to be in the play-in round of the NBA playoffs. Uh, Now, they're two games behind Atlanta and Miami, and that's why yesterday's loss was so big. They play the Heat again on Tuesday. It's their final meeting of the year. Uh, it is if the Celtics are going to have any chance of not being in the play-in, they have got to win that game on Tuesday. Um, Evan Fournier, great game for the Celtics yesterday. He had 30 points, but when you fall down by 26 in the first half, you know, uh, talk about an uphill climb. Uh, Celtics scored 40 points in the fourth quarter to kind of artificially make this game look close, but it really was never close. Brad Stevens is getting a lot of heat, and they're basically saying, look, the, the, their lack of intensity and you know the continued uh, problems where they seem disinterested, they're pinning squarely on Brad Stevens' shoulders. Now, there is an element of truth to that. I mean, obviously, it starts at the top, and he is not the most fiery guy in the world. I get that. But here's the part that people keep forgetting. The Celtics have not been able to put their full team, you know, all their studs on the court at the same time all season long. At least one of their starters or one key member has been missing from damn near every game. Yesterday, who didn't play? Jalen Brown didn't play. You know, and... uh, they're, they're big men. Grant Williams has been banged up. Jason Tatum did his best yesterday. 29 points. He had a great game. Shot 11 for 16. Evan Fournier, as they said, had 30. Kemba Walker did the best that he could to get an 18. He had 33 in a game on Friday night. Uh, Marcus Smart played uh, better than he's played recently. But every game, the Celtics are missing somebody. If they have Jalen Brown yesterday, is that a different result? I mean, who knows? You can't say for sure. But possibly, I mean, I have to think that if the Celtics weren't constantly playing with, with, you know, key members of their roster every game missing, that this record would be different. You know, uh, would they be sitting on top like the Sixers at 47 and 21? No. No, but I'll tell you what, they'd be in the mix, it, it maybe in the four spot, you know, they'd, be, they'd probably be ahead of the Knicks. But they have been banged up all year. First, it was, you know, Kemba Walker didn't start the season. He didn't play for the first month. Marcus Smart missed a bunch of time. 
Brown and Tatum have both missed numerous games. You know, so uh, Evan Fournier, after getting after the trade uh, at the deadline with Orlando, he had COVID issues. He didn't play for almost three weeks. You know, so this is a team that has not had their full roster. So I get where people are all over Brad Stevens, and I get that it starts at the top. But Brad Stevens, you know, isn't a doctor, and Brad Stevens, it's not his fault that guys are getting hurt. Stuff happens. You know, you could say, well, maybe the Celtics are the most unlucky team in basketball. I mean, I don't know if I'd go that far. But to me, you know, the Celtics are in a position where they are still going to be a dangerous out in the playoffs, even if they are in the play-in round. Now, do I think they have enough talent to win the NBA title? You know, well, I think they have the talent. I just don't think this is the year. And maybe this group isn't good together. I don't know. But they certainly, when you've got, you know, two all-stars like Tatum and Jalen Brown on your roster and you've got a guy like, uh, Kemba Walker, a perennial all-star, you know, and you've got supposedly one of the best defensive players in the NBA, Marcus Smart on your team, although he has struggled mightily after coming back from his injury this year. Uh, they have a lot of talent. They should be better than 35 and 33. There's no denying that, but this is still going to be a difficult team in the playoffs. And I don't care who you are. Uh, whether even the Sixers and, and you know, you know Brooklyn, Milwaukee, they've got to be saying, you know what, we'd rather not see the Celtics, you know, because uh, uh, I think the Celtics can still be dangerous if they can get everybody on the court at the same time. I get it. It's a big if. It's been a struggle all year. Uh, a couple other things before we get out of here. How about <laughs> Trevor Bauer? Uh, never known to uh, be shy and never known to keep his mouth shut. Uh, kind of uh, spouted off a little bit yesterday, and you can understand his frustration. Uh, the Dodgers lose again yesterday. They lose to the Angels 2-1. to one. The Angels win two out of three games in that uh, cross-town series. And uh, Trevor Bauer got the start for the Dodgers, gave up two runs, four hits, struck out nine in six innings, and said, look, um, you know, we've got to play better. You know, we can't sleepwalk our way to a repeat. And I just, I find this, I mean, it's, I, you like to see guys step up and show frustration and say, Hey, this isn't good enough. But it's, I mean, Trevor Bauer wasn't with the Dodgers last year. Trevor Bauer is the new guy. And I get it that, you know, this is a guy who is a great pitcher, but at the same time, you know, uh, I'm not sure he's the one that should be the spokesman for this team. He's a loose cannon to say the least. But he said, look, he said, I don't necessarily want to speak for the team. <laughs> well, but I'm going to. And he said, but I'm pissed. He said, I don't like losing. I want to win. That's why I came here and we are not playing up to our capabilities right now. So I'm mad. <laughs> hey, look, I'm sure everybody on that team is mad. The Dodgers have gone in the tank. The Dodgers were 13 and 2. Think about that. They won 13 of their first 15 games. Since then, they are 5 and 15. They've lost 8 out of 10 and they have lost 15 of their last 20. So I get the frustration. 
And with the amount of talent on that team, it boggles the mind. Uh, now, nobody expected the Giants to play as well as they played, and, and you know they still sit in first place. San Diego has probably underperformed as well. A lot more was expected out of them. But much like the New York Yankees, if I'm a Dodger fan, I'm not too worried. The cream will rise to the top. They have too much talent on this team. When you have Trevor Bauer, Clayton Kershaw, and Walker Bueller as your one, two, three, you'll be just fine. I mean, obviously the injury to May hurt, but they have enough pitching depth in that organization where they are going to be just fine. When you've got a former Cy Young Award winner in David Price working out of your bullpen, you're going to be just fine. But I get Trevor Bauer's frustration. But the other part I would say about that, if you're Trevor Bauer, hey, buddy, how about trying to throw, you know, be a little bit more efficient? He threw 113 pitches in six innings. 113 pitches in six innings. You know, now, is that the difference in the game? Well, no. I mean, the, the two guys that came out of the bullpen did a better job. But, you know, if you're Trevor Bauer, you know, you want to get yourself deeper into games. There's no question about it. And you have to give the Angels bullpen a lot of credit yesterday. Their starter only went the first four, and then they pitched five shutout innings out of that pen, allowed just two hits. So, uh, again, you know, I get Bauer's frustration, but... <laughs> If you're the Dodgers, you know, if you're Dave Roberts, you know, or some of those guys, you wonder, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to calm him down. You're not going to get him to not talk because that's not what he does. You know, that's just who he is, but, uh, you have to think that, that they'd be like, Hey buddy, just pipe down. So, but again, the Dodgers are going to be just fine. They're still 18 and 17. And when push comes to shove, they'll still be, uh, I think they'll still be the Western division champions. I do. So that is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back on Wednesday. No show tomorrow. Uh, I've got some things I have to take care of uh, personally, so we will not have a show tomorrow, but we'll be back on Wednesday with another edition of the wake up call. Hope you all enjoy your Monday. We're going to leave you this morning with some music from the, Former Cat Stevens, now known as Yusuf Islam, and uh, I love this song. It's called Maybe There's a World. We'll see you on Wednesday. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.